This podcast is brought to you by Wildcat Ridge Coffee. Ethically sourced and produced, and sent to you directly from the roaster. Find out more at wildcatridgecoffee.com. Welcome to Science Night, presented by the River Power Podcast Hello, it is James, and we are back with Season 2 of the Science Night Podcast. Thank you all for sticking with us over the long, a little bit of an extended winter break. This season, there are some great guests and topics that we have lined up, and we are starting off with a great one, possibly one of the all-time greats. I got to talk with Sean Boynes the executive director of the American Association for Anatomy, of which I am a proud member. Now, I got to sit down with him a few weeks ago virtually and talk about science communication and the role of the professional association in that effort, and it was really great to hear his thoughts on this topic. But... Before we get into that episode, be sure to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you got this show. And also, check out the other great shows on the River Power Podcast Network, especially my new favorite show and your future new favorite show, Please Enjoy the View, where Jacob Garnjos talks to artists about their work and their process. And I want to tell you right now, if you like this show, you are gonna love Please Enjoy the View. Now, settle in for my conversation with Sean Boynes. Sean, thank you so much for being with me today. I've been really excited to get back into the podcast studio, uh, into the lab, and and start doing this again. You're going to be the prestigious uh, opening opening ceremony for season two of the Science Night podcast. And I couldn't be happier to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. And what pressure you've now put on me <laughs> the, the first one but pleased and honored to to be a guest on your show what we're going to do today is talk about the importance of communicating science and that is something that has always been important but has really kind of gotten pushed toward the forefront of our society within the past four years i can't imagine what's happened during that time but uh, you know, in the era from 2016 to 2020, there's just been a, a real need to communicate science. And if we could ever put our finger on what that need was, you know, maybe we will uh, uh, really find out something. But I think we should start at the beginning. And I'm going to let you tell me a little about a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you came to that role. Sure. So I serve as the executive director of the American Association for Anatomy, based in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And I've been in this role for eight years. AAA, as we refer to the association in the scientific space, because when you say AAA, otherwise people think of automobiles, and I have to remind them it's science, not automobiles. 
I've been happy and honored to serve this association that's been around for, it's been 133 years. So it's one of the oldest scientific organizations in the United States. And members of the association focus on teaching anatomy in medical and dental schools primarily, as well as researching in a number of other areas, whether it be cell biology, developmental biology, neuroscience, and so on. And in my role as executive director, I have primary responsibility for managing the day-to-day operations. There is a staff team of six of us and also working directly with the board of directors on governance and advancing the organization based on the strategic priorities that they set to grow and serve the members of the organization. So it's it's absolutely been a pleasure, you know, working in this discipline. I'm not a scientist. I am a career association management professional, meaning that, you know, I've spent my entire career working in the nonprofit space. As a marketing major in college, I went to Howard University here in DC and decided that I wanted to have a fulfilling career and working for mission-driven organizations. And that pretty much sums up, you know, the association management space. I've worked for legal associations, I've worked for healthcare associations, and this is my first scientific group. So it's it's great to be part of something, knowing that I'm not in the classroom, I'm not in the research lab, but the work that I do supports those that are doing that hard work. So I feel like I'm contributing to the greater good in in a small way and supporting the mission of the organization. That's absolutely great. And we really appreciate the work you do. Full disclosure, I am a a proud member of the American Association for And we still appreciate you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I've I've been a member all the way back to when it was the American Association of Anatomy. So, you know, it's like uh, we're talking three years here. This is part of my life at this point. Yeah, yeah. And... I do appreciate you coming out right off the top and saying that you're not a scientist, but you work for and manage this scientific association. Mm -hmm. You know, as we're talking about communicating science effectively, what do you think the benefit of having non-scientists in these prominent roles within a scientific association is? I I think it's true of of all professions and not just science, but we'll talk about science specifically because, you know, that's the nature of our discussion today. I think it's important to look at it from a diversity lens. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you form a team, you want to make sure that you have different perspectives and experiences represented. And that's not to say that if you don't, you can't still accomplish whatever it is that you're setting out to accomplish or be great in your space. However, there are things that I will think of or things that won't resonate with me because I'm not in the research lab, I'm not in the classroom, I'm not trained as a scientist that I can push back and I can challenge and I can say, well, hey, let's look at it from a different perspective. And also when you think about, you know, especially science communication, you're talking about communicating to other audiences and the public and Science is an area that is intimidating for a lot of people, even those that may have an interest in science. You know, there's this sense of it's, you know, complicated and people don't really understand because there are so many different disciplines of science and what's the contribution to society. And if you're not able to sell your message and the benefit of your science 
in a way that people want to rally behind you, then we end up where we've been over the past four years, unfortunately, with science taking a huge hit and people questioning the validity of science and its contributions to healthcare, to, you know, just technology. I mean, all of that stuff that we use on a daily basis and even understanding more about ourselves, our bodies. And, you know, when you go to see your physician, do you understand like if something is hurting, you know, certainly you can point to it, but can you clearly articulate like that pain or that feeling? And, you know, that's what's kind of cool about anatomy is that, you know, some people say, well, don't we know everything that we know about the body? And it's like, well, in some respects, yes, that's true. However, there's so much more to learn. And I think that's something that, you know, this association continues to strive for is to make anatomy more accessible, helping people get jazzed about it because we all have it. So we should understand it and understand how it works. I really see you, uh, kind of taking the lead in fostering these connections within the scientists in AAA. You know, I've I've always felt really welcomed when I walk into a room in AAA specifically. You know, I, I'm I don't have a, a very large roster of scientific associations that I've been a member of, but that's not always the case from what I've heard from colleagues in other fields. How do you approach that as making making the organization that you're a part of something that is open and welcoming to create like a comfortable environment in communicating science? I, I think, you know, people join professional societies for a reason, you know, and, and those reasons vary from, you know, professional development. Sometimes there is credentialing that happens within a particular scientific organization there may be opportunities to develop your leadership by volunteering on committees or even serving at the highest governing level, which is the board of directors. And most associations rely on volunteers for content creation, whether or not it's, you know, webinars, there's programming that happens at the annual meetings that, that these groups convene. And you want to rely on the subject matter experts to pull that together. And of course, there's vetting that happens. Most groups have journals as well. And you want people to publish in your journals to disseminate scientific knowledge and information. And staff alone can't do that. So without volunteers, the organization just wouldn't be able to function the way they were intended to function. And in order to make best use of the pool of volunteers, you have to create an environment where everyone feels welcome and also they feel as though they have an opportunity to contribute in some way. You know, my philosophy has always been when someone raises their hand to volunteer, find a way to, to let them volunteer. It may be, no, I don't want to commit to a three-year committee term. I just want to kind of work on this one project. It may be, as I refer to it, a micro-volunteering opportunity where once they finish with the project, they're done. And that's okay because the organization benefits from that. So I think organizations struggle with how best to leverage members in a way that they have a good experience, but then also that the organization is able to accomplish all that it's set out to accomplish. And, you know, at the end of the day, people just want to be treated like people, you know, people invest <laughs> time, money and resources, especially if, you know, you're traveling around the country to go to these conferences that these organizations convene. That's not 
you know, something that comes lightly. And for organizations that don't do a good job of being inclusive, I think it is to the detriment of the organization and their ability to accomplish all that they could accomplish. And then what happens is, you know, you have other entities that pop up or subsets of the organization because people go elsewhere when they don't feel welcome. So I try to make sure that the door is wide open and we do our best to provide an opportunity for people to serve and to get something out. Like there should be a value add for that person. And if it's not, let's have a conversation about it and figure it out. Or, you know, let's try to find another way for that person to engage. Since we are kind of talking on the topic of science communication, is the AAA doing anything specifically to foster science communication within the organization? Um, You know, I know there are a lot of career development opportunities, um, but is there anything specific to science communication within this organization? It's ongoing for us, and it started with interest bubbling up from members and, and members across the country. Certainly people have been at it for a while. And when the board went through its last strategic planning process, it became apparent that science communication was a priority. So when you have that commitment from the highest governing level of the organization and it is in the strategic plan, then it's a focus and you allocate resources to it. The board also felt strongly that it was important to train other members in science communication and and worked with a a member who's passionate about it and created the science communication bootcamp. And James, that's how we met at that, Mm -hmm. you know, bootcamp in in Indianapolis at Indiana University. And it, it was amazing. And from that, we continue to hear from members that they're interested in science communication. So I think we're still trying to build out more stuff like that. And over time, I think you'll see more, you know, whether it's online training or face-to-face training or training that will happen at our annual meeting in conjunction with all of the other content that we have going on. But it's certainly something that's important because we want to be part of the scientific enterprise that's moving the needle around people getting jazzed about science and feeling good about it and acknowledging the many contributions that science makes to society. And let's not talk specifically about the magical week that we had together at the SciCom boot camp that was put on in uh, in association with Indiana University and the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science. I think what really struck me that was very different from any other networking, team building, career development training is that this can also be fun. And... If you can find a way to have fun in doing it, you're going to bring that energy to the audience you're doing. And when we're talking specifically about science communication, I saw the light bulbs going off like, oh, man, we can't just go out and give our podium from from our annual meeting uh, talk to the general public. You know, we need to engage them on a different level and man that was that was the the birth of this podcast would not have happened without uh that thought process going going behind it so if there are any scientists out there thinking how can i engage more just have fun with it that's an excellent point and and you know i didn't 
participate in the same way. I was there to observe and I was the unofficial photographer, you know, taking pictures because I knew that we would be using them for AAA purposes. But it was fascinating to to watch like, you know, there's the improv element that was, you know, part of the overall boot camp. And then, you know, the art of storytelling, which is something that that's not exclusive to, you know, science communication. That's about leadership. I mean, I try to use storytelling when I'm presenting on a particular topic or, you know, just trying to get someone to understand my point. And all of that was integrated in in the overall curriculum. So yeah, I agree with you and seeing people laugh and, you know, there was that that human connection because, you know, everyone was having a shared experience. So yeah, it was cool. And the other thing that I really think might have been a distinctive thing of a AAA event like that is there was really every facet of the organization. You know, we had uh, elected officials, directors, undergraduate and graduate students, yeah. beloved lab directors and future podcast hosts like myself. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> yeah. And another thing that really helped me with is seeing like the imposter syndrome is something experienced by every person in that room. You know, this is something that I kind of hit on because I can't get away from my own case of imposter syndrome. Is that something you have had to deal with yourself? Uh, feeling like, why am I in this room? Why am I? I'm, I'm feeling it right now, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I would probably say it was at its peak for me when I became the executive director of AAA back in 2013. It is the first time I'm serving in a role like this, and it's, you know, a highly visible role. And when you are in the top seat, if you will, you know, everyone is looking to you for guidance and direction. And I knew I was capable of doing the job or the search committee wouldn't have selected me for this role. However, in the back of my head, you know, there's also that, you know, oh my gosh, like, I really have to do this kind of thing. And I think acknowledging it is one thing and then pushing through it is another. One of the things that, you know, I was fortunate, I had an executive coach that worked with me for like the first six months of being on the job because I needed someone that could help you know, kind of direct me in the direction that I needed to focus on to to further, you know, refine my leadership style and my leadership skills. And one of the things that came out of that experience was this this philosophy of running to your fears. Now, I'm not saying like if you're afraid of roller coasters, you should, you know, get on roller coasters, or if you're afraid of heights, you should jump off of a cliff. But it's, you know, don't always run away from the things that you're afraid of because you will never know if you can conquer that fear if you don't face it. So that's kind of how I approach imposter syndrome. It is self imposed in many instances, and we just have to kind of push through it, you know. I don't necessarily like standing up in front of a room with hundreds or thousands of people giving a presentation, but I do it all the time. And, you know, I get the butterflies and, you know, the little bit of nervousness and, you know, that's just the nature of, you know, being human. I'm not going to stop doing that because of, you know, imposter syndrome or the little bit of fear that I may have. I'm going to keep running to it and it gets better over time. That's great advice. Just get out there, do it. And... You know, as long as you're not trying to do something really terrible, you know, if you're going to if you want to do something really terrible, you're thinking about it. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, avoid that. Exactly. <laughs> 
But if you want to approach the work, do it honestly. And I think your audience is going to appreciate that. In finishing up this part about communicating science, you know, we talked, we kind of alluded the entire time that there is a disconnect between the public and the scientist, not necessarily between science and the public. And, and I think that's a common misconception, too, is like it's not the science that is not trusted. It is the scientist more and more. And I just want to kind of see what your thoughts on on that topic are. And what do you think that the scientist can do a little bit better in in conveying that message? You know, I don't think scientists are any different from any other profession, if you will. I think scientists need to get more comfortable promoting themselves. And, you know, a lot of times people want to, I want to work on my science. I want to be a great researcher. I want to contribute my work to, you know, the overall scientific enterprise so that, you know, when that discovery happens, I want to be acknowledged for that discovery. It's sort of like head down, just kind of grinding it out instead of being the voice for your profession and speaking up and speaking out, whether it is advocating for science and the need for increased science funding through the funding agencies, whether it's the National Institutes of Health or the National Science Foundation, you can't sit back and expect others to be that voice for you. So find a way, and if you're not great at it, so that's where the whole science communication thing comes in, right? It's, it's training you get comfortable with it the more that you do it, but you have to be the voice for your profession. And when you have numbers, your voice is louder and people will pay attention. And I think that it's also important in this current environment that we're, we're living in for you know more women to be visible and for more underrepresented minorities to be visible. They're out there in, in science, but they don't always have the opportunity to be front and center. And when you Google scientists, I'm a black American, those images aren't looking like me. So as a kid, why would I aspire to something if I don't see people that look like me? So all of that kind of plays into how scientists are viewed and the fact that you can't just sit back and let things pass you by. You have to be an active participant, whatever that means for you. Join a professional society, figure out how to get better at science communication, figure out how to advocate for your interest and understand that it's important. And you may inspire the next generation by being visible and being vocal. So I hope that more people take a hold of that and just run with it. I think even building on that, being active on Twitter in kind of like science communication hashtags is a way to at least increase the representation Yeah, in a very easy way, too. I have been introduced to people that I would have never known if I wouldn't have just started following them on Twitter that are doing incredible things scientifically, but also just in communicating their work to the profession in very small ways, you know, it's easy to fall into the trap of like, well, you know, we're going to talk about anything related to space. Let's get Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. If we're going to talk about anything related to biology, well, let's see if Rick Richard Dawkins is available. And then if it's not either of those, I guess, Bill Nye. So, you know, you can, uh, 
you can be one of those voices communicating your work in a very small way just by getting onto social media. Um, I'm not good at it, but I'm trying to get better and take my own advice in that aspect as well. And this is a perfect example. You know, the names that you just mentioned, it's three men, right? And and, I mean, that's just, I mean, those are probably the more well-known names, but where are the women? So it's stuff like that that we have to also be mindful of and make space for others who don't fit into that expected role of, okay, yeah, it's a dude, you know, it's a guy who's doing this because it is, science is a very diverse, disciplined community and there's so much out there where people can be visible and speaking on behalf of whatever their interest is. We are going to be back in just a moment. Please give a listen to the people who are making this podcast possible. This episode is brought to you by Wildcat Ridge Coffee. Roasted and packaged in the United States and sent directly to your home. Visit wildcatridgecoffee.com to check out the huge variety of single origin and blends available to bring a fresh start to your day. Get fresh coffee delivered to your door at wildcatridgecoffee.com. Can you hear me? You smell the foul corruption. Things get a little strange here. And what about me? Like, really strange. Grotesque stench of rotten flesh. Yet consider this an invitation to our humble podcast. I'm only just starting. Just search, and we'll be waiting to greet you with a big... Hello. Come here. And welcome to Pulp from Beyond the Veil. We talked about a lot of stuff in the first half, but we really were focusing on the importance of science communication. And I want to kind of pivot a little bit to the scientific association and feel free to plug away uh, with anything that AAA is doing really well in this field and then like specifically where you see room for growth as well. The biggest thing to talk about at the beginning for scientists who are not a member of an association, but just the general public who might not really know what a scientific association is, is, is uh, why, why, (laughs) why join a scientific association? What is the purpose of the scientific association in in general? I think it's about bringing people together for a shared purpose. And, you know, for AAA, it's the mission of the organization, which is advancing anatomical sciences through research, education, and professional development. So that covers the gamut for the organization's focus. And one of the things that AAA has done very, very well is support members, especially those that are either students, postdocs, early career, because, you know, that's the future. That's the pipeline. And AAA is very financially healthy. And we leverage that to provide awards to acknowledge scientific accomplishment and achievement, scholarships, outreach grants to help people take their research into local communities. We also provide funding support for members to go and learn a new technique or a new way of teaching something at another person's institution or lab. 
And then through all of that, it's about collaboration. And I think that's what's great about science. Like there's so much collaboration that happens, whether it is across institutions or within the same institution. And being a member of a scientific society gives you exposure to all of that. You meet people from around the world. You know, AAA has a growing membership outside of North America. You know, the majority of, of members are here in the United States and Canada. But that is growing because of the online presence. You know, we have an active social media account, especially on Twitter, which is where I'd like to say AAA members play in the sandbox with each other. And, you know, it's interesting because there's this whole community of people that have never met each other in person. And they're just kind of, they're Twitter friends. And then I saw this kind of come to life a couple of years ago. There was an international congress in London. And I remember seeing people connecting for the first time in person, but they had been Twitter friends for a very long time. I mean, there were people that I connected with while I was there representing AAA that, you know, I had seen on Twitter and I try to engage with as many members as possible. And it was just very cool. And I'm not sure that that would have happened in the same way outside of, you know, the umbrella of the professional society bringing everybody together. And then there's also opportunities for people to learn and grow professionally and develop themselves so that if they are on the tenure track, they're, they're building out that CV with volunteer opportunities. It's about service and leadership opportunities. So that's AAA's value proposition. And where we're going in the future, we're not limited. We can, we can do a whole lot of stuff. The organization rebranded in 2019 seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. <laughs> and we are the American Association for Anatomy. And the key word there is for. So we are representing the entire discipline of anatomy. And because it's such a diverse discipline, you know, we want others to come and play in the sandbox with us, whether you are a cranial facial genetics, developmental biologist, cell biologist, neuroscientist. There's lots of opportunities for people to come and engage with the society. We have three journals that cover three different areas that people can publish in. So yeah, we're, we're open and welcoming and want more people to, to engage with us. What you really hit at that resonated with me so eloquently uh, just now is uh the bringing people together aspect of the organization. I'm going to say something that will be meaningless to non-academics right now. I hate silos. I despise the siloing that happens in academics. And now I'm going to be a good science communicator and explain what that means if you are not a terrible elitist academic like myself. In the sciences... We like to talk about how we are very high-minded and open to different things. And uh, when we're talking about our own work, we typically are. We'll look at the evidence for the most part and when we'll go what that means. But what we're terrible at is recognizing that there are other disciplines, even within our own field. And that is the really great thing about specifically joining the organization that is is kind of very broad to your field where you can have different sub specialties within anatomy for instance and then if you're part of an organization that has these ties with other professional organizations you really get to broaden your scientific scope and just being able to connect with people from different labs, institutions, disciplines, cross-disciplines, all those fun buzzwords. 
I think will create a better scientific product. So I really love that the first thing you said that the or uh, the association can do for you is connections, because I see that as really important for the science. Yeah, and I think it's also important in this environment where many people may feel isolated because of where they are. And, you know, depending on the size of the anatomy department, you may be one of a few. And while you probably work well with your colleagues, you're getting one experience at that particular institution versus being able to network and connect with people from around the world who may be able to offer insights and share resources with you to help you stay plugged into the the area of science that you've chosen to work in. So, you know, we have an active online community that's, I call it the, the private kind of Facebook, you know, because it's an opportunity for people to share resources and connect with other members and just sometimes kick the ball around a bit. There's a bunch of different interest groups. You know, we have a physical therapy interest group. We have an interest group for um, women in anatomy. We have one for the LGBTQ+. You know, we want to make sure that we are, once again, being as welcoming as possible and providing space for people to engage with us however they want to engage. Great at avoiding burnout, too. If you can find uh, your broader community within your field, uh, you know, you have that person to to reach out to where, you know, in the institution, there's only so many anatomists, there's almost only so many physiologists. Uh, and if you don't click with that group of five people, you can be even more isolated yeah. um, in, in academics. So it's really great, especially now with the the year or it seems like the the 10 years of 2020 um but <laughs> but uh the year we've just had where we've all gotten very good at connecting virtually um it's really comforting to know that that community is out there and it is now easier uh than ever well it is easier than it has been to kind of find that community you know there is still the issue of raising up the voices that have been silent for a really long time mm -hmm. um but but the effort is being made, and I, I really do appreciate that. Yep. Agree with you a thousand percent. Well, you mentioned journals uh, just a moment ago, and I think that's something that kind of deserves a little bit of time just for the people who maybe aren't in academics that may be listening to this. So both of you that are listening to this that are not in academics right now, um, why don't you talk just a few minutes about the role of the journal in science, but also within the association specifically. Journals are for AAA, the lifeblood of the organization. And what I mean by that is the majority of the organization's revenue that sustains the organization, it sustains our operations. It provides us with the money that we funnel back to members. It comes from journals. You know, we have three journals, the, the I would say, flagship and the oldest of the three journals. The anatomical record has been around for over 100 years. Developmental Dynamics and then Anatomical Sciences Education, which is an, an education research journal. So we cover our basis. And you don't have to be a member to publish in the journal, but journals provide an opportunity for scientists to share their work to contribute to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the scientific enterprise, because that's what's going to lead to a discovery. You know, what are you putting into the pot, if you will? And it also provides 
early career scientists an opportunity to earn tenure? Are you being published and is it being cited? And is it a high impact journal? You know, what's the impact factor? All of that stuff comes into play. What's interesting is, you know, there have been, I would say several opportunities where members have published or, you know, someone has published in the journal and I'll reference anatomical records specifically because that's typically where we gain significant traction with mainstream media. Whenever there's something published on dinosaurs, it takes off like wildfire. And here's the interesting thing. There is an element of science communication around that because you have to be able to translate the research. And, and sometimes it's, you know, physical anthropology in some respects, um, vertebrate paleontology, all of that stuff is woven into that. And USA Today or National Geographic will pick it up. And, you know, when you talk about dinosaurs, even kids are interested. So that just speaks to the power of publishing and publishing in a journal because then it gives that researcher, that PI, the visibility that he or she deserves. And it shows the value of science contributing to society. So I love when that happens, you know, because it's like, let's, let's get a press release out. Like, this is kind of cool. Like, I think people will be interested in this. And without those journals, I'm not sure that that would happen. Like this, the, the journals are a vehicle for people to share broadly their research, their, their science. And, you know, without that, it would be very difficult for others to be able to, to leverage and consume that information. It's also like an opportunity to have just like that spark of pride where you see something from the anatomical record hit on to like Nat Geo and USA to that 2019 was a very good year uh, for dinosaurs. Uh, the mm -hmm. summer of 2019, it seems like anatomical record was basically just uh usa today's outlet of source yeah. of uh, of note um and it does really make you think like wow i'm a part of this organization and they're really like burning it up and not to diminish other journals at all but that is that is uh you know what you're kind of buying into when you join these associations. It's like you're feeding into the organization that is going to make an attempt to elevate your work yes. to the largest audience possible. Yep. Um, so while, you know, your article may not be the one that breaks through, you know that there is, is an effort going on in the background uh, to make that an opportunity for anyone who is submitting and being published in that, um, that manuscript. Um, you know, we talked about technology and our necessity for it over the past year, but eventually, hopefully the uh, isolation will go away and we will be able to see each other face to face again and taking what we've learned from the past year and building on on everything, what do you see changing in uh, the scientific association going forward? I think how everyone had to quickly shift to the online environment. I don't think that's going away. I think that there will always be that element, and I think it will be more of a hybrid situation. I think the benefit of being virtual, it tears down the borders. And for 
those scientists in different parts of the world who may not have the resources to travel internationally to go to conferences, which is where the rubber hits the road with people presenting their research and networking and hearing, you know, the best of the best through scientific presentations, they still have an opportunity to get something in a virtual environment, you know, so it removes the barrier of travel costs from someone participating. So I think once we do convene, there's going to be all this pent up energy with people wanting to (laughs) convene in person again, that's to be expected. However, I think that there's going to be an element of, well, don't forget about the people who still don't have that luxury Mm -hmm. to be in person at the meetings. And how do you incorporate them into that experience as much as you possibly can? I don't think you can ever replicate the value of being in person at a scientific meeting. However, you can try to make it as inclusive as possible by building technology that enables that to happen. So I think that's where the future is going to be. We're not just going to kind of go back to, there is no normal anymore. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like we're having to recreate what will guide us going forward. And, you know, I think we've demonstrated that we can do this. We're forced to do it, but that doesn't mean that when things settle down that we ignore it. I don't think that that's going to serve any society well. I don't think it's going to serve members well. So getting comfortable with the integration of the live and the online, it's going to be even more paramount. That's very heartening to hear. The opportunity to travel across country for somebody who's at a, who is at a small institution or an undergraduate or a graduate student is it's not always possible in the budget. And, you know, as time goes by, budgets don't tend to grow, especially travel budgets. Those, uh, if you're not in academics and you haven't had to submit a uh, fiscal year proposed budget, travel budgets are usually the ones that are taking the line item that is taking the hit the most. Uh, So it's great to hear that there will be an attempt at a virtual component going forward, specifically for me, because that means I get to go and see more cool stuff, uh, which I'm very excited about. Awesome. All right. We are attempting, we are going to attempt a landing. The last thing I'm going to allow you to do is just plug anything you want to plug. Where can we follow you? Where can we follow AAA? Where can we follow anyone you want to be followed? Yeah, definitely catch me on Twitter. That's where I am. Sean, executive director of AAA, my my professional Twitter page. And that's Sean Boynes, full name, S-H-A-W-N-B-O-Y-N-E-S. And then also for AAA, also on Twitter, um, Anatomy Org. And, you know, that's where you will see AAA members and others that are interested in Anatomy playing in the sandbox. And then for other things association related, check out our website. You know, we keep it up to date and promote programs and services that we're offering to members. We are a few months out from our first virtual annual meeting. And that's going to be interesting because in this environment, we just talked about this, you know, we're not able to convene in person. The meeting this year was supposed to be in Indianapolis. And unfortunately, that's not happening. So we're going to roll out what we hope will be an amazing experience for people to participate with us virtually. And hopefully we'll get people from all over the world that have an opportunity to experience the anatomy meeting for the first time. So those are the things that we're focused on now. And certainly, 
you know, as I, as I say to my team, we're just trying to juggle and keep all the balls in the air with all of the work that needs to get done to keep the organization afloat and to service members and to meet the need, the mission of the association with the board of directors. I have got my ticket for the annual meeting 2020. I'm excited yay, to attend yay. virtual Indianapolis. Uh, Sean, it has been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, James. Thank you so much for listening. I told you that was going to be a great episode. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Science Night One. You can find me at James underscore Reed Three. And check out our website for links and more information about the show at SciNight.com. If you're involved in science and want to be part of a future episode, or you just got a cool idea about science communication, send me a message. I would love to hear from you. And as always, thank you to everyone over at the River Power Podcast Network. That is all from me. Chep, check back in a few weeks for a new episode. And until then, have a great night. <laughs>